What's going on, everybody? Happy Sunday. Happy Valentine's Sunday. I hope everybody's having an amazing day. My name is Cody Barton. Um, welcome to Sunday service. And so for those of you that maybe you're tuning in to Sunday service for the first time, this is every Sunday. We do this at 7 p.m. Arizona time. Um, if you do not already know, we are on Spotify. We are on iTunes. So if you're driving around throughout the week and you want to tune into Sunday service and what we have going on, you can jump over to Spotify or iTunes and check us out on there. And I'm excited to get into it tonight, guys. Um, let's see here. So we're going to be talking about private money lenders, private money lending, um, part three. I'm also going to talk a little bit about uh, money and money management as well, as that is a topic that um, kind of go in, goes hand in hand also with, you know, potentially for you to become a private money lender as well. So let's go ahead and jump into it um, for looks like we have people plugging in from a lot of different places. Where is everybody tuning in from tonight? Hope everyone's had a good uh, Valentine's Day. Uh, myself and uh, my girlfriend, Hael, we just finished up dinner and came right to Sunday service. So excited to be here. Jeremy says, I wish I could stay. Wife needs me to eat with her, I guess. Have a great video. <laughs> love it. Love it. Happy wife, happy life. Awesome. So I, as some of you may notice, I'm not in the typical uh, studio setup that I have at home. I'm in Las Vegas right now for the weekend, heading home tomorrow. So it looks like we have people coming in from Texas, Seattle, uh, Missouri, Pennsylvania, South Beach, Florida, San Antonio, Texas, Alabama, Orange County, California. So people tuning in from all over the place. Happy to have you guys here um, tuning in today. Um, if you guys aren't already, just for, you know, I know there's some, there's a lot of new people that will plug into these lives every week. And so I just wanted to let everybody know about the community that we have online on Facebook. Um, if you're not already involved, you can go over to Facebook and search for the Creative, fin uh, Creative Finance Facebook group, Creative Financing Facebook group. Uh, with Pace Morby, you guys could jump into there and network with other people. Um, I think one of the biggest things, you know, especially as you're getting your real estate career started is having a community, having a network with, of some people that you can plug in with. So that's a great place to go to find some like-minded individuals to be able to network with. So um, I'm going to go ahead and get into the topic here on, on private money lending and more specifically how we kind of manage some of our you know private money lend, uh, lender relationships. And then we'll talk about some, uh, some money in general and we'll do some Q&A. So let's jump into it, guys. So Jeanette Pace texted me a few minutes before we got on here and said that he was running a little bit behind him and his wife for Valentine's Day were out hiking. And so they're running a little bit late um, hopping on. So um, he just wanted me to go ahead and get us started here. So let's go ahead and talk about um, private money lenders, private money lender relationships. Um, some of the things that we do to you know keep the relationships 
you know, strong as we're, you know, working with the lenders. So the first couple weekends that the topic has been on private money lenders has been on, you know, where do you find private money lenders? How do you have the conversation? You know, what's, what are some of the things that you uh, bring up to be able to, you know, start that relationship, right? So that's what the first two weekends were about. Um, Pace did a really great job going into that. Um, you know, what I'm going to go into now today is a little bit more on like managing those relationships of once you actually get those created. And so just recapping a little bit um, of a couple of the sources where you can find private money lenders. Uh, one where, of where we find private money lenders from the previous weekends is we find a lot of our lenders from sellers. So we'll find lenders from sellers that we've bought their property and they are you know not certain what they want to do with the money. This especially works well that we've been able to do really well with, with some of the lenders that they specifically uh, don't know what to do with the money. They just are in a situation where they're going to be getting a lump sum of cash. So one of those conversation starters, if you have good rapport with the seller you're working with, having that conversation, what are you planning on doing with the money when you sell? Or what do you, you know, are you going to reinvest it or what's, what's your plan? So you could start that conversation, obviously, um, you know, starting conversations with people in your network. You know, most of our lenders, just so everybody understands and knows this, most of our lenders aren't other real estate investors. Other real estate investors are looking for lenders. So a lot of our lenders come from people that have regular corporate jobs. So, you know, people that have, you know, a 401k that they're just not really happy with the returns with, but they've been working in their profession, their particular career for 10, 15, 20 years. And they just are looking for a higher return where they could invest that money safely. So, those are, I just wanted to recap, you know, some of the places where you can find, you know, private money lenders from, from the previous calls that we have had. And then, you know, I want to just jump right into, you know, how do you manage those relationships, um, you know, once you've gotten those started? So typically what we do when we're, when we have a new private money lender is um, the process goes, Pace usually has an initial conversation with them identifies, you know, time, like, what are they looking for? Right? So what you have to do when you're having these conversations is, Hey, like, what are you looking to accomplish here? That's one of the great questions that you ask sellers when you're trying to put a deal together to buy their property. So, you know, one of those questions that you ask somebody that could be a potential lender is what are you looking to accomplish? How long do you want to have your money working? I mean, do you want to have the money out for three to six months? Do you want to have it out for 12 months? Do you want to have it be running for, you know, two, three, four years? So the reason you want to do that is you're going to be able to identify, okay, um, you know, is this going to be a lender that could fund fix and flips? Like the short-term lender, that's like the three to six month. Is this going to be a lender that can fund my long-term holds? Maybe you're doing buy and holds. Uh, maybe you're doing the burr strategy or maybe you're buying, you know, subject twos or seller carries to turn into rentals or Airbnbs. So those are some questions to ask, right? That when we're when you're having those conversations with somebody that is in a position where they are ready and they want to lend. So that's you know that's how you'd want to start that conversation. Um, and then you know once you kind of get a feel for you know how much money they want to lend and their timeline and their terms and everything. 
then it's just about, you know, explaining, you know, the process and, you know, part of like what we do with, with the lenders that we work with is, you know, letting them know like, Hey, you know, we, we actually won't take your money unless it's secured by real estate. You know, sometimes we'll have lenders that, you know, they just want to give us the money and get a return on their interest or excuse me, an, uh, an interest on their money just to give to us. But, you know, we, we only will take money from lenders where we're able to secure their money against real estate. So what that looks like is, you know, that particular property, say one, two, three main street, we're going to be doing a fix and flip. And the lender is going to be lending say $200,000. Now, how do they make sure that they're secure? What we're going to be doing with that lender is we're going to have them wire that $200,000 to the title company that we're making the purchase of that, you know, one, two, three main street property. So they're going to wire the funds to the title company for the purchase of the property. And then what the title company is going to do is they're going to secure a note in deed of trust. Now, again, for those of you that may not have heard the first, you know, two lives on private money lenders, the note in deed of trust is the note is essentially a piece of paper that says, you know, that is written on it. Hey, my name is Cody, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Lender, you're lending me this money at $200,000 at, you know, 10 or 12% interest, whatever the agreement is. And I agree that over the next six months, I'm going to, you know, pay you your principal back plus an interest rate of X. And the money has to all be paid back to you within six months or within a year or whatever you agree on with your particular lender. And now what happens is with whatever county that you live in or whatever county you're doing this particular deal in, what the title company is going to do is on that note that says, you know, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Lender in the terms, you as the buyer are signing that note saying, hey, yeah, I'm going to pay you. I agree to these terms let's go ahead and move forward with this deal. And then so that note's going to get recorded with the county. Uh, the deed of trust is going to get recorded with the county. Um, that deed is basically just what's ensuring that there is, uh, you know, insurance against the property, essentially that, hey, you know, this $200,000 loan by Mr. or Mrs. Lender has to be paid off if this property is going to sell or exchange hands. So that when I go and resell the fix and flip, that's part of what's going to be paid off when I go and sell it to my end buyer. Right. So that's essentially just, you know, giving that, um, you know, bird's eye view again of what those, you know, steps look like when, you know, getting this lender, um, you know, getting this lender tied into the deal and getting those funds uh, actually into the purchase. So before I continue, guys, I'm going to go ahead and answer a couple of questions. I'm seeing some really great questions coming through. Oh, Matt, how is the McLaren, bro? So I rented a McLaren 570S today uh, here in Vegas, and it's been a blast driving that thing around. Super fun. Um, definitely would encourage it, you know, for any of you car people on here. Great time. Super great time to be able to do that. Matt, it was great. Definitely have to get one now. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's take a look. Um, Chuck says, search your local family office for private money lenders. That's definitely a great idea. Tony, how do we find a private money lender outside of friends and family? 
So you have to be careful advertising that you're, you know, you're trying to secure lenders because you don't really want to put yourself in a position where you're illegally soliciting for investors for your business. So, you know, what you have to do is you have to actually, you know, have a relationship established with that individual before, like the relationship starter can't just be, Hey, will you lend me money? Yeah, sure. Like that can't be the relationship starter if you don't have, you know, proper licensing to raise money. So the way that we raise money is, you know, people that we've established relationships with, we just kind of make the point out there. So if you're having conversations with friends and family, and then you, you can ask, you know, start having conversations, go to meetups, go to your local meetups. I know some of them are online right now. Um, so, you know, go online, start connecting with other investors, talking to them. You know, some of our best investors have came from people we've met at meetups. One of the, you know, another place you can meet lenders at are masterminds. If you aren't a part of a mastermind, I mean, that's that's a really key place where you can find people that have money because they're investing in a mastermind. And a lot of the time they're looking to, uh, you know, to continue to grow their own financial, you know, returns as well. So, um, you know, I have a really great lender from a mastermind that that I'm a part of. And, you know, I have access over to, uh, you know, over a million dollars in capital from one of the lenders in a mastermind that I joined. Now I'm paying a five figure a year investment to be a part of this mastermind. But part of being involved in a mastermind is it allows you to get around other people that, you know, have capital. So Tony, what you have to realize is like the people that, you know, could be investing in your deals. Think about, you know, how can you get around more of those people? Where are people with money hanging out? Where are people with extra capital hanging around? You know, making it a point to network with people like that. Whether they're in your friend group or not, join masterminds, join, join different coaching programs. Um, you know, go to if there's a certain gym around your town where, you know, more affluent people are hanging around. Go to that gym. Johnny San Sanchez, dude, I, you could not be any more right. Definitely relationship based private money lending you know, the, the way that we get capital is all around the relationship. You build rapport, you build a friendship, you know, eventually if you want to do business with each other, they decide to lend you money. Great. That's, you know, that's a benefit to the relationship. Um, you know, Mamadou says, my doctor friends are my best source right now. Yeah. So here, here's the thing, guys doctors, lawyers, you know, doctors, lawyers, you know, attorneys, um, engineers, um, you know, all of these different types of high paid professions, you know, those there's people in those professions that they're making a lot of money. They make a lot of money take home, but they're so dang busy that they're unable to put themselves in a position where they can learn to invest because they're working on their job. Like I have a, a friend of mine, he's a surgeon and he has no time to invest in real estate, meaning like he doesn't have time to study the, the numbers and everything because he's running a successful practice and extremely busy. That takes up all of his working hours. But what does he have? He has a lot of capital to invest. So like that's a prime candidate. So a lot of the best investors are people that are high paid professions, high paid jobs that 
they just want to be able to park some of their capital, you know, diversify some of their portfolio out of, you know, being entirely like in the S&P or the stock market. And they want to be able to put some of that into real estate and, you know, a secured uh, into a secured deal. So, um, you know, great point, Mamadou, on, you know, Dr. Friends being a great resource. So um, let me look at a couple of these other questions here. Um, Rohit says, what mastermind are you a part of? I'm a part of two masterminds. Um, one is called the WGR mastermind. Um, it's out of Utah. And then there is another, uh, mastermind. That's a, a private invite only real estate investor mastermind, um, that runs, you know, three meetups a year once, you know, on the East coast, what once on the West coast, once centrally. Um, so two different masterminds. I would like to be in a third, but I just don't have enough time in the day to be a part of all of these different masterminds and then running masterminds and running, you know, the different businesses that Pace and I are. Chuck, let's see here. So Chuck says, <clears throat> the more you put yourself out there on what you're doing on social media brings people who believe in what you're doing and the money will come. There's a great point to that. Um, there's a really great point to that. So when you're putting yourself out there, obviously you're showing that you know what you're doing. Some people, they're too scared to be on social media. Social media has brought Pace and myself most of the opportunities that we have, you know, from private money lenders, from, you know, being invited to other masterminds, being invited to different, um, you know, just different uh, environments to be around high level people. Because you're, you're basically, your social media nowadays, guys, is your business card. What you're doing on Instagram, what you're doing on Facebook, that is what your business card is. So you have to look at, um, you know, what are you putting out there? Are you putting out that you're in real estate, that you're investing in real estate? That's what you have to see, you know, for, for your social medias, make make it work for you. Too many people consume instead of create. That's the problem with social media is too many people are consuming it and they're not creating anything. You probably could look at Pace and myself and think that, you know, dang, like these guys spend all of their time on social media because of how much we put out. We're posting on our Instagrams. We have stuff going in our Facebook groups. We have stuff going on YouTube. We have podcasts, but a very small amount of our time is really put on the, the platforms. It's, it's on around creating for the platforms for other people to consume. So that's definitely something, um, that's definitely something to keep in mind with social media is that's a, it's a business card for yourself. Let's see, Daniel. Daniel says, how would you pay back your private money lender? I have a friend that wants to try lending with me, probably a one year term test things. It'll be a buy and hold opportunity where we offer him. Um, I don't know what you mean by at the end of there, but you're going to offer him payments. So Daniel, what you can do, um, there's a few different things that you have to look at is what is your investor trying to accomplish and what are you trying to accomplish? Are you going to resell that hold in a year? Do you want to hold on to that after? Like, so you got to look at, okay, so interest only. So what you got to look at is if you're going to do, say the birth strategy, for example. So 
on that on that particular deal, you know, say if you're going to do the burr, you're going to eventually just refinance them out. If you're going to buy it, renovate it, you know, using their capital to renovate the property, get tenants in there, stabilize it with some good tenants that are paying monthly, and then put yourself in a position to refinance them, uh, refinance the entire purchase of the property um, to, you know, remove that interest. That's what it sounds like, you know, if, if you're going to be having him fund the whole purchase of the project of, you know, the purchase plus renovations or whatever you're doing to that particular deal. Yeah, you're, you're going to have to refinance him out at some point with institutional lending if you want to hold that long term. Or if you just want to do a short term hold, you could just cut him in on the profits. Some people do that getting started. We don't do that anymore, but, you know, we just do a, a flat interest rate. But what you can do um, when you're starting and trying to build a track record, Daniel, is you could say, hey, you know, if you fund the purchase and renovation of this deal, I'll pay you interest only payments and then we'll resell the deal in a year and a half or two years or whatever that, you know, projected timeline, uh, time horizon for that particular deal should be. Resell it and say, hey, whatever we whatever net on the deal, I'll give you 10 percent on top of your interest. Right. So net of the net profit. So you can structure it however you want, Daniel. Just know what your exit is. That's the that's going to be your biggest thing. You got to figure out how you're going to exit that deal. Because if you're planning to just hold it long term, like that capital is going to get tied up. You're going to have to replace that capital, whether that's you taking your own income and replacing it, or whether that's you getting a traditional loan and refinancing him out. All right, let's see. What other questions we got here? I know I missed a few up top as well. Malcolm makes a really good point here. Um, you know, for him and Paula, uh, they're lenders of ours. And so something really important is, you know, for new lenders, you got to educate them about the process. So, and just make it simple to understand because we have to understand like you listening to this, this recording today, or, you know, this call today, you know more about real estate oftentimes than your investors are going to. So you got to make them feel good and warm and fuzzy because you're the expert because you are. If you're trying to bring a lender into your deal and you have a plan, a strategy and an exit for that deal, you are the expert and you need to educate them on what, what the steps are going to be. Hey, what are the potential um, negatives that can happen? You know, hey, maybe this project takes a little bit longer. You know, sometimes that happens for us. You know, we have a deal that goes a little bit longer because of construction issues that'll come up. So there's certain things that you just have to, you know, have that conversation with your lender. And it's keeping that open line of communication with your lender, um, you know, if stuff's going on. Like, for example, we have a fix and flip that, you know, we expected to take about uh, three months. And we had, uh, when we had one of our lenders that, you know, was only planning to be in that deal for six months. How, and how do you handle this? Um, in this particular situation, we this project ended up taking five months because we closed on the purchase and the lady that was supposed to move out right after we closed didn't move out for almost two months. So that extended our timeline two months, right? So that made it where our lender that was supposed to get all of their capital back in six months, it, we just had an open conversation. Hey, do you want us to refinance you at six months like our note states here or do we want to put something new in place to revise this and update it because I think we're going to look more at eight months right now um, from the total turn time, you know, for that extra two months. 
And so he's like, yeah, like, let's just extend. So, you know, just having that open communication is going to help, you know, continue to build that trust and rapport with your lenders um, through that process. Let's see here. Um, so Freddie's saying, are you putting together some type of investor packet for the deal um, to review it before they make a decision to invest? Sorry, guys, I'm a little dehydrated, so I'm trying to drink up while we are going here. <clears throat> so we do not do a packet, but we do send the deal terms. So some of our investors that have been working with us for a few years now, they don't have us send them, a, you know, all the deal terms and information anymore. It's pretty much like a conversation of, hey, we need 200 grand or we need 100 grand. It's going into this property at 123 Main Street. We plan to have it working for this many months. And, you know, let's go ahead and do the deal. And they just wire the money. They do their note, their deed of trust and all of that. Because we've been doing, we've done deals with some of our lenders dozens of times. So it's just, there's no, they're just like, yeah, like, let's just move forward. But some of the new lenders, obviously, you know, you have to, like, they're, they're going to be, have a little bit more apprehension. They're going to have a little bit more anxiety around lending with you for the first time. So you need to be prepared. You need to be the expert. Like I was saying, if you go to a lender and you don't know your stuff, you are going to look like a dummy. Even though your lender may not know more about real estate than you, you need to know what you're doing. You need to know how to protect their money. Because when we are working with our lenders, I stress out more about my private money lenders and deals than I do about my own personal money and deals. Because I want to make sure that we are taking care of their money and we're being good stewards of their money and putting it into good projects that are going to be a great project for us and for them and creating that win-win situation. So part of what that, um, that information looks like, Freddie, is something as simple as this. We'll have an email that'll go to our lender and we'll say, hey, Freddie, uh, you know, looking forward to potentially putting a deal together for you. Here's a potential deal that we have that we're going to be funding. You know, uh, we're going to be getting funded here in about a week. Um, this, you know, fits the criteria of what you're looking for based on a previous conversation that we had. So I just want to see if this would be, you know, these terms would make sense for you, you know, to lend on this particular deal. We're buying this property here at 123 Main Street. It is a three bed, two bath, 1200 square foot property. We are going to be purchasing this property for X amount of money. Here are the pictures of the property so you can see what the condition of the property is. Um, with that, you know, here are, um, here is the expected budget. We're going to purchase the property for this much money. We expect to send, spend this much money in our renovation. Here is our, you know, uh, Excel or our, you know, uh, estimate from our construction manager, Anna, on our team of what she expects to spend. So our total all-in investment into this deal is X. And we are anticipating, you know, here are three comps. Here are three verifiable comps that have closed, that have sold within the same neighborhood as the property that we are, you know, planning to flip. Here's what the three comps sold for. Here is why they're similar. Same bed and bath count, similar square footage, similar build style within the same neighborhood. And with, with all of this said, you know, they sold in a reasonable amount of time. 
very low inventory in this particular neighborhood, da, da, da. like just the key points of why this deal makes sense to even flip in the first place. And once we've broke, once I break that down, then I say, you know, we, uh, we expect to utilize a hundred thousand dollars at X percentage interest for X amount of months. And our close of escrow is going to be on this date. So this is when we need the money um, to fund by. And then I also go into, you know, following up from a call and your money is of course secured by a note and deed of trust against the property that, 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 like that is what that email essentially looks like, Freddie. It's very simple. You don't have to overcomplicate it. It's just, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to accomplish our goal. This is what supports what our goal is. This is how long we expect it to take. Let's either move forward and let's do the deal. Or if it's not a good fit for you, no problem. We'll have one of our other lenders fund the deal. And that's essentially how we'll put that together. Because if you just if you just lay out the data there and you show them what it's gonna what you're doing, it's pretty easy from that point because it's just it's it's just numbers, right? But I can't uh, emphasize enough how important it is. Like you got to know what you're doing. Like I wouldn't, you know, I would not be trying to get people to invest money in deals of yours if you don't even know what you're doing. As long, at least have a mentor that's guiding you so that you don't put yourself in a situation. I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen where other, you know, real estate investors, I'll never say the name obviously, but I've seen other real estate investors put themselves in a spot where they've borrowed money from lenders and they don't know how to get the deal executed. And now they're in a position where, you know, they're uh, losing money on a deal and losing, um, you know, private lender money. So you just gotta, you just gotta know what you're doing and, you know, don't get in over your head if you don't know how to put a deal together. So Freddie, I hope that helped, um, helped answer that. Um, Angel, what type of interest rates are you giving your private money lenders? Um, most of our new lenders have been, you know, eight to 10% has been, you know, really what, um, you know, what we've, where we've been at. We have a lot of lenders that we work with already. So we're just kind of in a spot where we have relationships with people that we've worked with now for a few years and that we're super happy with, and we have really good relationships. And so, um, you know, it's, it's gotten lower and they just like working with us. So it's like, they know that it's, you know, a, a steady, stable, um, investment so that that's why they like working with us. And we know that they're a steady, secure source of capital when we need to, you know, get a deal closed. So, um, but it definitely angel, it didn't start that way. Um, when, you know, when we were first raising private capital and putting money into deals, we, we had to give up part of the deal. You know, it's, uh, I had to give up when I was doing some of my first flips, I was giving up a percentage of my net profit. I wasn't even giving up just interest. It was like, Hey, you're going to take 25% of the net on my flip because I'm a noob and I don't have tons of experience, but I know that this is a good deal. So that's how you, you build your track record. Obviously, if you can get better terms than that starting off, yes, go do that. But you know, if you're having a hard time and like you're going to pass up on a deal because you don't have the money, but somebody will lend you the money and you know take a little bit of the deal, whatever you got to do, get the deals going, get your track record going. People get too caught up and you know needing to make the most amount of money out of every deal. You got to understand like your private money lender and you like no one deal is going to change mine or Pace's life. Like, yeah, we have some deals that we make some large chunks of cash on, but 
that deal doesn't change our life. It's, it's the um, con- continuation of doing multiple deals. So, you know, getting a track record down, getting some deals under your belt, getting, you know, some, uh, some trust and foundation, you know, with lenders under your belt so that you can then continue to raise more money by building your reputation um, around yourself, sharing your successes, sharing your accomplishments on social media so that you can continue conversations with, you know, your private money lenders you have. And a lot of times they'll tell your friends about you. If you get, you know, one good lender, you know, a lot of times they'll start to tell their friends, if you're doing a good job, you're communicating well, and they're getting a good return that they're happy with on their money. Uh, So uh, 53 new house, oh, Lisa here. Thank you, Lisa, for letting me know, because it says your YouTube name. Lisa says, we've been able to secure private money lenders, but only asset based. When private money lending in second position, how do you get them comfortable with the transaction? So um, when it comes to lending in second position, that's just a matter of, you know, comfortability with, with your lender. Um, it's just, they have to feel good about it. So what essentially is going to happen for those of you that are like second position, what the heck are you talking about? This is going over my head. So I'm going to go over just a quick explanation, Lisa, and then I'm going to get to your question. So when you are, say, for example, if anyone on here, you buy a house just normally, right? Like just a standard way that most people do it. They go to Wells Fargo, they get a loan for a hundred thousand dollars and they go buy their house, what happens is there's a note and deed of trust that is secured against that property that Wells Fargo owns the note and you owe Wells Fargo that $100,000. That is a first position lien that is put against the property from Wells Fargo. Now, that is what first position is. It's the first lien against the property, the first loan against the property. So the second position would be this, for example. Say for uh, say on that property you bought for a hundred thousand dollars um, with a loan from Wells Fargo, you know now that property is worth, let's say two hundred thousand dollars, and let's say you get a second against your house. There's people that talk about it. Oh, I got a second mortgage. I got a you know another mortgage against my house. You know, there's banks that will give you a second, or you know you can look at like a HELOC, a home equity line of credit is kind of like a second against the property as well, um, in a way. But basically, a second would be a mortgage or a lien, something that needs to be paid against the property that is in second position against it. So what does that mean? So let's just do this for the example. Let's say that property that I bought for $100,000, I owe $100,000 on it in first position to Wells Fargo. I go to my uh, private money lender, or I go to Bank of America and they give me a loan for $50,000 against the property in second position. So now I owe $150,000 on that property, $100,000 to Wells Fargo, $50,000 to Bank of America. Now let's say I foreclose, I can't make my payments and I'm just in a situation where they're going to foreclose against my property. Now what's going to happen is say my property is worth $175,000 or, you know, yeah, let's just say $175,000. And I hope this may go over some of your guys' heads if this is the first time you're hearing this, but it's totally fine. You can come back and listen to it again, but let's just say the property is worth $175,000. 
and my property goes to foreclosure. It goes to the auction. It's auctioned off and other investors are bidding to buy my property because I didn't, I couldn't keep up with my mortgage payments and my property forecloses. And let's say that the, you know, the investors, they bid up the property, they bid up the property and they end up paying a hundred and let's just say the market value, $175,000. Now what's going to happen is, or let's just say a little bit under, let's say it's a hundred and $55,000 is paid for the property. Now the first lien is entitled to their payoff first. So that first hundred thousand dollars would go to pay off Wells Fargo, which was that first lien holder, right? The second lien holder, which is bank of America that I, that I mentioned would be the second chunk that gets paid off. So that's the difference really is your first lien is paid off first and your second lien would be the one that's paid off second. And then notice, remember I said there's $155,000 that was paid for the property and I only owed 150. I would get the extra 5,000, even though I foreclosed, you know, it was foreclosed. I still am entitled to the equity that, you know, above what the payoffs were for that property. So um, where there's a risk in second position is let's say, what if the property sold for 145,000 instead of 155? First lender, Wells Fargo, gets their hundred grand, they're paid off. And now there's only $45,000 left. But Bank of America, they're owed 50. Well, second position, they're only going to get 45,000. They're going to be 5,000 short. That's what happens. That's where there's uncertainty with, you know, first versus second position. Um, but Really, Lisa, you're just going to have to find investors that are comfortable with that. And a lot of our investors, the ones that are comfortable lending in second position, they know our track record. So you may just have to one, either develop a, a better, you know, a longer track record, not saying that you maybe don't already have one, but get a, a long, you know, a longer track record going or be buying properties at a deeper discount. So if you're buying a property too high and you're already paying a high number in first position, I, I would also be leery to lend to you in second position if you were already buying pretty high in first position. So I know this is maybe a little bit over, you know, some of your guys' heads, but I just wanted to get that out there um, is, you know, you just have to find lenders with different risk tolerances. If every lender is going to have a different risk tolerance. Um, if you look at myself and Pace, we have a very different risk tolerance. Like, he wants to buy multiple properties out of state as Airbnbs. And I'm just honestly not really comfortable doing that right now. Does it mean that they're a bad investment? No, I just don't want to do it. I just, I make my decisions off of like, how will I sleep at night? If I can't sleep good at night because I'm stressed out about a property, I don't want to do that deal. So Lisa, that's, that's what you got to look at is like, you got to find the right lenders that are, you know, comfortable lending in that manner. That's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. Yeah, Debbie, second position is mostly based on relationships and credibility um, and your opinion. Yeah, that is entirely it. Like, I can't say it any better than that. You just have to have, um, you have to have, you know, a good track record most of the time to get that type of, those type of lenders. Freddie, thank you. Great question. Appreciate it. Noah Hoffman, what's up, dude? So when you're new, you have to give up equity because you need the private money lender to get in second position. Noah, that can be true. 
it also could be not true. You So that's just based on whatever private lender you're talking to. If you cannot, for the life of you, find somebody to go in second position unless they're getting some equity in the deal, if they're not getting some equity in the deal and you're just at a, you know, a, a wall and you can't get a lender in the deal, does it make more sense to do a deal and give a lender 10% of the back end or 25% of the back end versus not doing the deal at all? That's what you have to just underwrite into, you know, what makes sense for you. But I lean on that if you're new and getting started and trying to, you know, build your track record with lenders, you know, Noah, I would, I would definitely put a lender, um, you know, I would put a lender in a position where they're getting a percentage of the equity. If you can't get a lender to lend you any other way, I do. I'd rather do a deal and make less of the deal. Like that was a big thing. Like I, you know, I used to work as a real estate agent. And I never understood why, like, I, you know, I didn't work on a team. I had a small team of agents that worked with me, but I never understood why people that were very, you know, underperforming agents, like they would only sell a few houses a year and they wanted to sell more. That's what I mean by underperforming. They only sold a few, but they wanted to sell more. Um, they wouldn't join a team and actually have help with leads and a system in place um, to be able to you know, actually um, do more deals and make more money. They make a little bit less on per deal, but they make more money overall. Like that's what I would be, I would look at if you're looking for lenders right now is look for, if, if you can find lenders that will fund your deals or put money into deals with you and you can't do any other way, but you have to give up a small portion of the deal, I'd do that all day long. If it means that you're getting the deal done, now you have to at some point recognize your value and you know really money is easy to find like a lot of people have money but the the hard thing to find are deals true good deals you know you're the one that has a great value add um you know that you have to realize as the investor you're bringing a great opportunity for a lender to the table by allowing them to have something to place their money into and into a pretty secure asset so you know, just my two cents on that. Let's see what other questions. Noah, thank you for bringing this up. So 17th. So for those of you that don't know, Noah actually manages our Airbnbs for us. And, you know, Noah is freaking awesome. So we appreciate you, Noah. Um, the property on 17th, as people know, um, we are in this weird COVID world now where it is difficult to evict people. Uh, if they want to fight, you're going to be fighting and it will be tough to get people out. So Noah, we're basically in a situation where we have one of the tenants in there that um, is not removing themselves at will from the property. So we're just in a holding pattern right now on that property because we're just, we can't evict, we can't do anything. We're just basically at, you know, at whatever, whenever they're going to cooperate right now. So Unfortunately, that's where we're at. We are so freaking excited about getting that turned into an Airbnb and the other property on Sonnet. Um, you know, our goal for those of you that don't know is in 20, uh, you know, in 2021, we want to add more Airbnbs to our portfolio. We want to diversify a little bit from having a lot of our properties just in standard rentals or lease options. And we want to turn some of the exits into Airbnbs and with Noah, we're so excited to do that with you. So, but that's the quick update. The update is there's not a big update because 
COVID moratorium is until the end of March. So if tenants basically in Arizona say, I don't want to leave. And uh, even though I'm not paying rent, I'm going to stay. And here's my CDC form. And they give that to the judge. The judge basically says, well, we're not going to kick them out because here's their CDC form. Wait till March 31st. And then we'll revisit this. So that's where we're at. It's unfortunate. Um, and also, you know, as far as like deal details, you know, typically reach out to me, Noah, because Pace doesn't even know what's going on with some of the, the properties because it's not his job. It's my job. Um, all right. Ooh, Debbie, freaking nugget here. So equity sharing to build up trust and credibility first is a great suggestion for long-term business relationship. I agree with that fully. Um, and again, especially for people that haven't done a lot of deals, they don't have a track record. They can't show, you know, five active projects they're doing right now. They're like, Hey, this is like my second deal or my first deal. Like you have to do that. Um, you know, so you just have to, you know, just do what you have to like, get your hands dirty, like get in, you know, make a little bit less on a deal at the beginning so that you can make more long-term real estate in general. It's a long-term business guys. Um, one of my, Oh my gosh, Rick. Um, Biden will kick the can down the road until the fourth quarter. Please, please, God, don't. I hope I hope that does not happen. Um, I'm praying for the best. You know, what, whatever outcome happens, happens. Um, you know, but that's just at the end of the day, you know, this is just the world that we're living in. So we're just doing the best we can. And, you know, part of that, Rick, is, you know, as an investor, as an entrepreneur, you know, you have to you have to be able to pivot, which is why we're turning some of our properties into Airbnbs. We are, you know, uh, attempting the best we can to get some of our tenants out of some of our properties that will do better as Airbnbs. So we can turn those into Airbnbs and have less of the tenant issue um, with the moratorium going on. Uh, and then some of our acquisitions we're looking at buying right now. Um, we're looking more at, okay, if we can close and do this deal, um, can we turn this into an Airbnb instead of you know, having to make it be just a standard rental. We're still buying for regular rentals too, but we want to be a little bit more diversified um, because of this uh, new normal world that we're in right now. Uh, Malcolm, uh, guys realize Cody's doing 90% of the interactions with us as private lenders. He knows the intricate details. He is the man on this. Malcolm, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, you know, we try to do our best to, you know, make sure our lenders know what's going on, understand what's, you know, happening in a transaction, and, you know, to keep the, the line of communication as open as possible to, you know, make sure that our lenders feel good and, you know, uh, understand what's going on. Right. So that's that's the goal. Noah, we will work with you on that out of state comfortability with you over time. I mean, I would if, if anyone has leads on some subject twos or seller carries in areas that you know, I am more interested in owning real estate. I mean, if it's somewhere around Austin, Texas, somewhere around, um, you know, Miami, Florida, or some of the, you know, uh, nice beach areas in Florida, I would definitely look at buying and doing Airbnbs in some of those areas too, just because I want to go and stay then too, and be able to stay there basically for free because it's making money uh, the other time. So Rick, great point. Thanks for that. Yeah. You know, you just have to be able to pivot. Like the world is always going to be changing. So for those of you that are on here, like wholesaling may not be the move at, at all times. Like you may have to pivot and do more fix and flip. You may have to pivot and do more creative finance. You may have to pivot, do Airbnb. 
Like there's always going to be opportunities in real estate, but as things change in the government, as things change in the state, as you know, supply and demand changes, as it goes from a seller's market that it currently is right now in you know, February, 2021 to a buyer's market, things are gonna have to change. And you know, as a great investor and as a great entrepreneur, um, your ability to be able to pivot as things change will you know, show your um, you know, likelihood to succeed long-term. Oh, Blake hit, uh, Blake says, Noah hit me up at the mastermind for Las Vegas Airbnb deals. I'm looking at, I would look at, actually, I would look at some in, in Vegas too. Um, potentially depending on where they're at. I'm in Vegas right now and it's pretty dope here. It reminds me of, uh, of AZ Ray says I have South Florida sub two leads. If you have some, if you have leads, so guys, for anybody that is on here, I'm going to put this number on um, for for all of you to be able to reach out to just in case. If you do have any deals in Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Texas, um, whether they're sub two, seller carry, wholesale, fix and flip, whatever that type of deal is, um, please reach out to Nick Newling on our team. His phone number is 480-819-9295. That again, for those of you that may just be listening and not seeing me you know, type this right now, um, Nick Newling, 480-819-9295. I put it in the chat. Um, please, you know, send send those deal opportunities. We want to buy deals. Like that's, you know, that's what we're trying to, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to buy some more real estate, guys. So I'm going to wrap this up here in the next couple minutes, but um, what I would like to do is see if you know there are if there are any other questions before we do wrap this up this evening. So all of you can go spend your time um, if you're in a relationship with your significant other for the rest of Valentine's Day. Creighton, you guys are so amazing. Thank you, Creighton. You're freaking awesome. Um, you know the reason that again, Pace and myself decided to create Sunday service was. We just have felt so grateful and blessed for the, you know, the success that we've had in our businesses over, you know, the last couple of years. And that's why we decided to do it. This started, you know, two years ago as just a, hey, you know, Pace, let's just hop on like a conf free conference line and let people listen into what we're doing in our business. And it's turned into this now. So, um, you know, we're super grateful for it. Um, you know, again, for those of you, if you don't know already, um, you know, this is on Spotify and iTunes. So if you ever miss an episode and you want to get synced back up with Sunday service, you could always check us out on Spotify and iTunes and listen to past episodes as well while you're working out, driving to work or whatever you're doing. Jeff Engelbrit says, do you pay points to private money lenders? We don't pay points. Again, it's all negotiable. That's the best thing. You know, some hard money lenders, which are going to, you know, sometimes be the ones that are charging points. You got to pay the points. We don't pay any points to our private money lenders, but not to say that that's not the right thing or the wrong thing. There is really no standard. Yes, this is the right way or no, this is the wrong way. When it comes to your lending with your private money lenders, it's just whatever makes sense for the deal to work for you as the investor and whatever makes sense for that private money lenders risk tolerance, the amount of funds that they're willing to allocate and put into a deal. And number three, the um, the return that they're looking to get on the deal. It's just, it's all negotiable, but we do not. Let's see, 
Angel, take on subleasing properties in other markets and turning them into Airbnbs. Oh my gosh, I have a quick story. This is worth, this is a worthwhile story. So there is a company, um, I don't think I'm gonna say their name because I don't wanna, you know, uh, throw any bad will to them, but there was a company out of, I'll just say where they're from, they were out of Washington and they actually did this, Angel. They they leased a property from me and Pace uh, a little over a year ago. This was like December of 2019. They leased a property from us and they were Airbnb-ing it. So they started to Airbnb the property and we were happy because they were paying a little bit over market rent for our house. So we were stoked and we didn't have to manage the Airbnb because that was before we knew Noah could you know help us out. So, um, so for us, you know, we were excited about that opportunity. Here's here's the thing that I would, you know, keep uh, make sure that you're okay with Angel is if things happen like COVID unexpectedly in the market and you put yourself in a position where you need to be carrying those those uh, payments on your rent on the uh, rent every month, you got to make sure you're financially secure enough to carry that if, if it sits vacant for a few months. Because here's what happened. COVID hit. And a lot of things closed in Arizona in like uh, March 2020. And what happened was by April, the first week of April 2020, this company that that leased our house and was Airbnb it, they called me, the owner of the company, and they were a pretty decently sized company. They had like, you know, 50 plus employees and they had over 100 properties, you know, under man, you know, not uh over a hundred, you know, plus Airbnbs. I don't know the exact number, but they had hundreds of these Airbnbs that they were renting and then arbitraging basically and, you know, Airbnb them, which is great. And the situation that happened with them was when COVID hit, they didn't have enough reserves for the company so that when hundreds of properties all went vacant and they had to make rent payments on, you know, hundreds of houses that weren't getting, you know, paid for by Airbnb anymore, they called me and said, Hey, our companies went under, we just laid off all of our staff. This is actually the owner of the company that I never spoke with while they had us under management. And they said, Hey, you know, I can give you like a thousand dollars and, you know, you can come after our company, you know, for breaking the lease and the terms and everything. But, you know, there's nothing that, um, there's nothing I can do. I am, our company is out of business and you're going to have to take your property back and, you know, figure it out. So that's something that happened. And obviously like if you just have a couple Airbnbs and you can handle the rent payments on those, great. But that was just a situation that, you know, personally happened to Pace and I last year. So then we had to scramble and get some tenants in there. Let's see here. Um, what are their questions? So, any other, any other questions that you guys have? Um, otherwise, I'm going to wrap it up here. So somebody said, isn't Vegas anti-Airbnb? I know some of Vegas is, but I know there's some areas that, um, you know, there there's some areas that are not, um, you know, not restricted. I think it's mainly areas like really close to the strip. Let's see. Ooh, Moran. Do you consider it harmful thing in the beginning to have your hand in so many baskets? For example, if you're trying to wholesale, but also learning to flip and buying sub two rentals. 
Oh, man, um, that's a great question. You just have to really look at like where you're at. Um, and I think it makes more sense. I've always, and other people will have different opinions, but I always think it makes more sense to get down one thing and then move on to the next thing. Because this is what I see a lot of people do is they run around like freaking squirrels in real estate and they don't really accomplish a lot because they're trying to do five different things at the same time. So you know, they, they're trying to wholesale, they get a deal that they're like, I can make more money if I flip it. So then they take it down to flip They're They just learned how to wholesale and get leads and then they close their deal. Now they're fighting with contractors because they've never managed contractors and they had to raise money. So they're probably using expensive money on the deal. They're trying to manage this flip um, and everything else going on. So now their lead flow slows down. Now they don't even get another deal for months. Like it's just a freaking mess. Like if you can't, if you don't have a good system down for the things you're doing currently, I don't think it makes sense to add on a lot of different things. Like master one thing and move on to the next. Like Pace and I, we had, even though he had a really big construction background, we didn't start flipping right away. We got our wholesale business dialed in to where we were getting consistent leads. We were getting consistent contracts and we were getting consistent closings. And then once those things were continuously happening, we started adding in the fix and flip so we can create a new process and a new rhythm around that. And then we started buying rentals because then, you know, our fix and flips became very routine and rhythmatic as well. So we were able to add on, you know, doing the rentals and then now Airbnbs and, you know, some of the other things we're working on. So what I recommend trying to do it all at the beginning for, you know, no, I would say master one thing, move to the next, master, master something, create a system, move to the next, master that, create a system, move to the next. That's what I would say uh, to be able to, and, and again, you know, some people might disagree, but that's in my experience, the way to actually be able to get the, the most out of what you're doing. It's hard to be really focused. Um, and it's very difficult to focus on multiple things at once if, when you don't have a good foundation yet. All right, I'm going to finish with this last question. Moran, thanks for the question here. Um, Creighton, what's your best response for someone that says they don't want to be in second position? They're afraid of us taking rehab money and running without doing any repairs and no value in the property. So I would say one is you might need to get a different lender, Creighton. That would be more comfortable with that. Um, and two... You know, maybe you need to just get a little bit more of a track record. I mean, you have you own multiple rental properties and you've done a lot of real estate deals. So maybe what I would do is maybe be presenting how you're going to run that project. So like if you're looking for a twenty five or fifty thousand dollars in second position, like maybe uh, lay out a well-established plan of how those funds are going to go into your deal of like, hey, you know, we expect it to be a seven or eight week long project and we plan for week one, five grand, next week, five grand, like whatever, you know, however much money they, that you need in second position, like where that money's going, how much is it, how much and when is it going there? And I think if you just bring a better presentation of when the money is going to be used, what it's going to be used for, um, and you know, if it's a good enough of a deal, like if it's a deal that's pretty tight and like, there's not really a lot of room there, you, you're, that may scare a lender away, but you know, that I would say one, you know, make sure you're presenting, giving the right presentation of the deal so that they feel confident that you are certain about what's going to happen with the money. Um, and then two, I would look at, you know, 
uh, the lender themselves and see if it's really just, they're just risk tolerance just isn't there and you need to go look for another lender. So those are a couple of things that I would look at um, with, with that particular situation. Again, some lenders, like guys, I have, I have my parents, my parents, guys, the people that have raised me as a child and that I love to death so much. And I want to get them now, not I want it's, it's, I want because I want to help them because I know how many of the lenders that we have, you know, lending on deals and that are making, you know, great returns that I want to be able to place some of their funds into deals with that uh, Pace and myself are doing, but they are scared to death to do it. And so they won't, they won't do it. They just won't lend on deals that are great deals. So Creighton, part of that is it's just sometimes the lender is just not going to be the right one. They're just the risk tolerance isn't there. Like, I think I can do a thousand projects and my parents will still be like, I don't know. I don't know, you know, if it's something that, you know, we can do. I don't know if we feel comfortable. Like, it's just some lenders are just not going to be the right fit. So that whether that's going in first position or second position. So you just got to talk to the right lender. Creighton, yeah, that's your parents too. Yeah, I mean, like I could show my parents that I'm buying a house for $50,000 and it's worth $200,000 and all I have to do is buy it and then resell it tomorrow. They would still be like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know if it, we, we really want to jump into this deal. It's just, that's just what it is. So, you know, it's just always going to be lender based. So, um, well, guys, yeah, that's so funny, Creighton, that your parents are like that too. So let's go ahead and, you know, wrap this up for the evening. You know, I, I appreciate everyone that's, you know, spent the time on this live um, as we've talked a little bit more about raising private capital, some of the, you know, challenges, some of the ways to communicate with your lenders, uh, some of the, you know, uh, things that we do to communicate with the lenders and, um, you know, communicate with the lenders and all that. Creighton, sorry. One had 100K profit on flips and they still think it's risky. Some people, it's just never going to be a good fit, right? So not everyone's going to be a good fit for you. Um, but appreciate you guys sticking around tonight on Valentine's evening. I know, you know, a lot of you could be spending time with your significant other. So go and, you know, if you haven't already told, if you are in a relationship, you know, go tell your significant other that you love them, that you appreciate them and that you're thankful that they're putting up with your crazy self listening to these real estate, you know, crazy guys on a Sunday night. Um, when you have the time to spend with your family. So I appreciate you being here um, and appreciate you guys listening in. You know, again, if you do have deals in Arizona, Florida, Georgia, or Texas, um, you have Nick's contact information from earlier. We would love to take a look at those deals. We need new fix and flips in Arizona. Um, if you had not already heard, um, Pace and Jamil are going to be starting on a TV show with A&E in about a month. And we need a lot of fix and flips for that TV show. So we, when I say, Hey, like we're looking for fix and flips, I don't even mean I'm, we're looking for, we need fix and flips because we could get a good amount from our own marketing, but we need more on top of that um, to feed the appetite that the TV show A&E is trying to, um, you know, have us record here in about a month. So we're super excited about that. Super happy you guys were here tonight. Um, again, we are on Spotify and iTunes. If you've gotten any value from this tonight, make sure to like, 
comment, share with your friends, um, you know, go to the creative financing with Pace Morby Facebook group and share something you took away, bring some value to our community that we always, um, you know, try to do our best to bring to you guys. So with that, appreciate you guys. Have a wonderful evening and we will talk to you guys soon. Oh.